0: please come take your seats don't drink the whiskey listen this is the fraternity party over here i'm i see you two back there
1: hey everyone welcome back to another brand new episode of Brim pursuit and we've got a really good one lined up for to you today but let's hit a little bit of the news and a little bit of description about today as well so Everyone kind of remembers that Pappy heist, right? Well, some more news broke out, and that happened about a week and a half ago, but it didn't really make headlines. And that means our friends weren't blowing up our phones trying to tell us about this new Pappy heist, right? So Gilbert Toby Kurtzinger stole almost $100,000 worth of bourbon. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and is now being granted a shock probation after only serving 30 days. So either the judge maybe got a bottle out of it, or there's just crowded jails. But that's actually pretty crazy. Apparently, they couldn't pin the pappy on them, but only the stolen barrels of wild turkey. And there's now articles stating that these barrels and the whiskeys will be returned to the distilleries. So perhaps there's some more fun named releases on the horizon. I know this is one episode that people have been waiting for. We've asked the Kohlbezm family from Willet to join the podcast plenty of times in the past, but they just didn't want to do it. However, our partnership with the Kentucky Derby Museum's Legend Series was able to make this happen. So thank you to the Derby Museum for letting us bring these great events to the masses. And remember, buy your tickets for the next Legend Series when they go on sale for the next season. It's really a world of difference to experience all this in person. But today, you get the chance to hear from the man that has made Will it Distillery what it is today. If it wasn't for Evan Kolsveen's foresight to buy a bunch of aged stock from Heaven Hill and Bernheim years ago, then you wouldn't see people going crazy for 14 to 27 year old releases of Willett Family Estate. We also get a chance to hear from Britt Colsveen, who has been named the current president and chief whiskey officer. As a forewarning, the audio in this isn't what I would consider good or even great quality. We had issues with multiple camera crews on site. There were two microphones on both Evan and Fred. So the audio tends to fade in and fade out. And please also keep in mind that Evan is also in his later years in life. Uh, he's also originally from Norway. So try to keep that in mind when you listen. The rest of the Legend series, however, we, that we're gonna be airing, won't be having this issue. So this is gonna be a fun one. Hopefully you get to enjoy this one as much as it was for all of us to be there in person to enjoy it as well. Now, remember, if you do like this, support the show. We've got all kinds of great things such as uh, T-shirts. We've got bottle totes. We've got barrel picks. We've got patches. We've got koozies. We've got stickers. So make sure you go and sign up on Patreon to see all the new updates that are coming through there. If you also want to follow us on social media, make sure you find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit. Pretty easy to find us there to figure out what we're drinking uh, any day of the week and make sure that you are subscribing to us if you're using itunes stitcher podcast or last fm i don't know what it is but make sure you're subscribing to the podcast and if you're watching this on video make sure you're hitting the subscribe button on youtube as well as on facebook and you're liking us there and if you want to get any new episodes beam straight to your inbox and you want to know about it every thursday morning at 7 o'clock a.m eastern time Go to bourbonpursuit.com, scroll down, sign up for our mailing list, and you can get there with all the links to the show notes and everything like that. With that, enjoy this week's episode. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12 year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye opener. You can order online at Sealbox or the bourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at WhiskeyAmbitions.com.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for coming. This year's been about family. This is our fifth year of the Legend Series at the Kentucky Derby Museum. In years past, we did individuals talking to them about their careers and and what they've accomplished. But bourbon is so much more than any one person. If you've ever been to a distillery, you've heard the stories of the beams and no doubt, the Willets. Today, we're here to honor who I think is one of the greatest palates in bourbon history. And that's Evan Colesfane. We are joined on stage by the president of the Willow Distillery, and uh, I have not done a thorough look into this, but I'm pretty sure you're the only president of a Kentucky bur- female president of a Kentucky bourbon distillery right now. So, ladies and gentlemen,
2: Prince.
3: I inherited it from my mother, so she was the first. Okay. I can't take all the credit.
0: So you inherited it from mom. Yeah. I, I, tried, I tried to get mom up on stage at last minute. Did you know about this? No. Did, can you imagine her telling me no? It was yeah. a pass me down. It was, yeah, she, she didn't look up. So, love to have you up here. So, right here we have Willa family, we have Drew, Martha. Janelle. Janelle. Can you hear? Yeah. Janelle, hello. But the the bourbon industry is about family and uh, the Willa Distillery, and what this distillery has accomplished in the last um, three or four decades is amazing to me. As somebody who follows the studies the history of bourbon. And what the distillery has accomplished, and what it has been through, and what you have individually done, is amazing. And we're here tonight to talk about you, Evan, Brett, your family. But I want you to know that this is the most people we've ever had here. This is a record for the Legends. They're here for you. They're here here to listen to a few stories. Mm -hmm. I want to start with with your childhood. Where where did you grow up?
2: Norway. What part of Norway? (laughs) Uh, Hamar, which is part of the southern part of Norway. It's uh, about one third up from the very southern tip, but if anybody knows where Oslo is, it's about 85 miles north of Oslo. Now, I understand that when you... It's actually where they had the Winter Olympics in oh.
3: 1992. 94. 94. That's good. This, is, this is why she... It was the last time I was, I was there, there. there, so I remember. Yeah,
0: You were there. Yeah,
3: That was actually the year that it was Tonya Harding and that whole fiasco. And we were on, what was it, Drew? Was it hard copy or something? Yeah. Yeah. Being interviewed about Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding and our American flag sweaters that Mother dressed us in. That was...
0: Yeah. Now, you, did you have any role in that at all? Did you, in
3: the sweater or in the hard copy I interview? Know, well, Tonya Hardy and you oh, <laughs> no, no. big no.
0: conspiracy about that. Yeah.
3: yeah, no. And I have not watched I Tanya yet, so no.
0: <laughs> but you were, you were an ice fisherman growing up, or like everybody ice fished. You...
2: Well, that was sort of a sports or hobby thing. It's not something I did for a living. But
0: when you were a kid,
2: you went to school and studied and skied. Did
0: you did Made, you, ice, you know you played ice. in the snow? Did you ice fish as a kid?
2: Yeah, fell through the ice a few times.
0: You fell through the ice a few times. Yeah, what was that like?
2: Cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not fun.
0: And you have you have a lot of brothers.
2: Three brothers. Three brothers. Yeah.
0: Were you the oldest? Second
2: oldest. Second oldest. Yeah.
0: What was, what was uh, what did you all do? Did you go ice fishing and skiing and was everybody drinking? I'm just imagining everybody drinking aquavit. At yeah, well, ten years old at that
2: time. Yeah, aquavit is actually much more popular today than it was back then. Okay. It's much better today than it was back then. It's uh back then it was not that good.
0: What were you drinking back then? Not that you would ever.
2: No, we never studied. drank. Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when well, you but they used to have a saying in Norway that everybody had a still in their. Basement, except the sheriff. He had his neighbors doing his. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> That's so. not too different from Kentucky at one point.
2: But that's cars. true. That's true.
3: It was a natural assimilation here.
2: Yeah.
3: And that's,
0: you moved here when you were 14.
3: Yeah.
0: What, well, 15, yeah. I just turned 15. You had just turned
2: 15? Yeah. What yeah. was that like when you when you moved here? Uh, well, it was, well, I didn't move to Kentucky then. I moved to Colorado then. Okay. So, and, uh, I spent about 10 or 12 years in Colorado. And then I came to Kentucky and met my wonderful wife and got married and she being from Kentucky, I didn't have any choice, I had to move to Kentucky.
0: Now we're we're, we're definitely gonna get into that point, but one of the things that I learned about you uh, that I didn't know was that you joined the March of Marines.
2: Right, that was before I came here. And you? I you, I was a lot younger then. There's apparently there's a story about you becoming a chef in the, marine, the merchant marine. Sort of, yeah. We didn't have official titles, but they did have a chef title. Like it. But
3: but he's asking you why you came into that role. Do you remember what you told me, Dad?
2: Well, yes, but um, I'm not sure if you tell everything here.
3: Listen, <laughs> this is all off the record. <laughs> off
2: the record. Well, good. yes, I understand. That's why we're. You know, <laughs>
3: They're drinking no one's going
2: to remember anything that we said well i, I mean there wasn't anything you know the, the chef was basically he he liked to drink a whole lot so
0: so he was a little too intoxicated to yeah, do chefing yeah yeah and
2: I, so i did a lot of different it was a merchant marine ship so you know i had a lot of different jobs working on deck and in the kitchen but i spent most of the time actually ending up having to run the whole kitchen so you know, it was a lot of work, about 45 people on board, and five hot meals a day.
0: Yeah. So, you have a tattoo on your arm. Yeah. What,
2: can can we see that? Do you,
0: is, it, is it visible? <laughs> no. visible, visible show what no. is there a story behind the tattoo?
2: Pain. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. was that a, was that a merchant marine story?
2: yeah, it's you know that was the cool thing to do was if you were in the merchant marine. but Marines. did
3: you actually get a tattoo of Hawaii in Hawaii? Yes, you did yeah I just remember when I got my first tattoo, I got in a lot of trouble and I reminded him that he had a tattoo on his arm mm-hmm. yeah. Did't still well, go over very, very he well It that. still didn't go over very well yeah
2: back then, that was you know sixty I don't know some years ago so. Fifty some years ago, people didn't do tattooing like to do today. Yeah, now it's, it was more like of it's a an sailor. art. It was more of a sailor thing. Then. Yeah. yeah, it's the rite of passage. If you're uh, if you're at sea, you gotta yeah. have a tattoo. Well, that was what everybody said. So you <laughs> know, if you didn't get a tattoo, or a chicken. You can go back on the ship.
0: Really, they wouldn't let you would not land back <laughs> on if you didn't have a tattoo. Yeah.
2: Wow. And, you,
0: and then you 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 skied in college. Yeah. What was when what was your event?
2: Uh. Nordic combined ski jumping and uh, you know, cross country. I did some downhill too, that was mainly it. Nice.
0: So, so yeah, you're, uh, you grew up in Norway, right. moved here uh, at, at a young age, yeah. and you've had an amazing life, an amazing career. Yeah. And I didn't know this, and, but- And amazing children. Amazing children, amazing, an amazing wife. Yeah. Amazing wife. I'm a lucky guy. And a lot of friends. Yeah.
3: we have a very big family. I'm very family. grateful for it.
0: Well, and if you think about bourbon as one big family, you know. it is, and we yeah. do. You're you're you have a very large uh, large family. Yeah. But well, one thing that surprised me when when uh, when Brett and I were talking was that you're not a U.S. citizen. No, I'm not Is that by is that by choice? Is that something
2: that you? Yeah. Saying? Well, the only the only distinction is whether or not I can vote. I still get to pay taxes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, you, you know, you're running a distillery, so you have yeah. to pay a lot of taxes. I do. We work for the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: My, uh, Martha's dad used to always remind us that we were glorified revenue collectors. Yeah. So, and it hasn't changed. So,
0: but. was there was there ever a point... Um, in the last 25, 30 years, where you're like, you know what? I'm going to become a citizen. There, have you ever, did you ever it? You know, I think, I think there's been some elections. We probably could have used your vote.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, I always said if my one vote would make a difference, I would consider it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, it might have.
0: It may have. Now the, I do know, there are some elected officials in the audience, and um,
2: they got my vote. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Brett. I know you love your dad. You, you just you, you talk about him, even if it's just a text. You're just you exude a love that I think that every father would love to see in a child. Just you, one of the things you told me was like he's one of the most kindest people that you've ever met. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a story about this kindness?
3: That's kind of hard on the spot to pick one story. That's like when someone says, which one of these is your favorite bourbon? I'm like, well, it depends on my mood, so.
0: Well, later I'm going to ask him who's his favorite kid, so. I'm going to
2: to <laughs> I, don't, I try not to pick favorites. Yeah. <laughs> we can come back to that.
3: I think I would like to think about that yeah. for a little bit, if you don't mind. So you got to
2: come up with something
3: good. Yeah, I do. <clears <clears throat>
0: throat> Kevin, yeah. since she while well, she's thinking about bragging about you, I'm gonna ask you to brag about her. She is now the
2: president yes. of your distillery. Right. How proud are you? Very proud. But I'm proud of all of them, so
0: what was there was there a moment in seeing, you know, because we all know Britt does a lot of the behind the scenes work, some of the things that are just kind of yeah. not glorified. Was there ever a moment where you saw her in action, and you're like, "Wow, this is she's got skills."
2: Well, they, she does, and I'll tell you, they all have very excellent skills. You know that. Absolutely. So, so it's not about that. It's about you know trying to keep uh, an organization moving forward.
0: And, uh, What's she like? Because when you 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 all eventually have a meeting, you know, eventually mm-hmm. sitting down talking about. You know, the distillation and the marketing or whatever. What's Britt like in a meeting?
2: She's all business. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's no mom, mom and dad there. It's it's all it's all business. All about the yeah. all about the product.
2: Yeah. What about what about Drew? Pretty Drew. much the same thing. It's all business. Drew is like you know. You know Drew. You know both of them real Very well. You know Janelle. You know all of them. Very well. Yeah. A few weeks
0: ago, Drew was in uh, Food and Wine magazine. He's been in Esquire, he's been in uh, GQ, he's been in he's been a lot yeah. of things.
2: Yeah, he's a model. He's, he's a
0: model.
3: <laughs> he got all the photogenic jeans.
0: Yep. I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't. Mm, I would. By the way, look at these boots, everybody. Look, can you show everyone the boots?
3: Yep. Absolutely. That is your
2: fashion. Yeah, high fashion.
0: Now, you, I've noticed this about you. You're always wearing boots. I am. Is there a story? Is there a story behind that?
3: You well, there is a story behind these particular boots, but about the, in general is if you've ever been out to our family's distillery of you know, at any given moment, yeah. you're walking through grass or mud, and we will probably never pave our rock road, mm. and climbing through warehouses and the bowling house and everything in between, and so you got to be able to get around. And if somebody gets out of line, you might need to... Give them the boot. A little harder, too. Yeah. Yeah. These ones in particular, however, um, I was recently in uh, Washington, D.C. for an event, and I went over to Delaware for the day and spent some time with Mike Jajinski, who has Jeeps for Joy, and I was talking about how I really wanted a vintage leather jacket and this and that, and he said, oh, well, you know, my wife, Claire, and I, we have finished clothing on the side. And I said, well, of course I did not know this. And so Mike and Claire actually gave me these boots. they had had these boots for a while. And they said, you know, nobody ever buys our boots. So we'll just give them to you because we know how much you like boots and we'll appreciate these, so.
0: Mike's a great guy. He is
3: a great he guy. Has a great
0: boots. And they, you know, I, um, uh, one of our friends was saying that your boots are kind of like my ascots. Like, it's like
3: You got your ascot, I got my boots. I think we even match. Yeah.
0: That was not planned, but that's cool yeah so you watched you watched um, your brother kind of come up the ranks you're older
3: you're i am i am old sister
2: she watched... she's younger
0: she's younger
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm the oldest sibling yeah
0: the you what you watched Drew kind of come up the ranks and see him you know, work with your dad mm-hmm. um, you know in, the palate is not something that <laughs> I don't know if it can be really passed down. You have one of the greatest palates of all time. And I feel like Drew is...
3: Drew has a phenomenal palate. He,
0: he has yeah, a phenomenal yes, palate. Definitely. Was there something you did? Did you, did you train him? Did you...
2: No, I think he's done it on his own.
0: By yeah. watching you. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But
2: he he's, has an excellent, excellent palate.
0: When you're picking a barrel, because you... You were one of the very first people to do small batching, right. do a right. When You're picking one barrel and then you're tasting 15 or 20 others. What are you looking for to kind of create that small
2: batch composition? I always, I always look for something that I like.
0: It's, that, it's just that simple, It's something yeah. that you like? Is it?
2: Yeah, it either tastes right or it doesn't taste right.
0: What's something that doesn't taste right?
2: You? Oh, well, I mean, sometimes it can be, have a little harsh taste to it or bite or, you know, and sometimes it can be just aging that's not just going right or not long enough. or I mean, it could be many different things.
0: Was there ever a place, like a particular special spot in the warehouse that you noticed that kind of drew those good flavors that you really liked?
2: Well, I'm sure you've heard most people in the industry, they always have. Stories about favorite places in certain warehouses and there's something to that. But, I mean, you've been in our warehouses and, you know, you can go on every... every, We have five floors in our warehouses. They're all the same and uh, very small compared to, you know, other big distilleries. And one thing that works well for us is that all our warehouses sit on a high plateau so we get excellent crosswinds are all there's wind in there all the time, so we get a lot of good breezes through there. But every f- floor in the warehouse has a different temperature and basically Humidity. its own microclimate. You know? And then there, you know, depending on what side the sun comes up and all of that. So I mean, these are all things that you don't really think about as very much as a person on a regular basis. But you know, the, it all makes a difference. So,
3: He's not going to share the secret with you, Fred, if that's what you're asking.
2: Well, but I'm giving you general information. It's hard to be specific about certain things yeah. like that.
0: No, I. you know, your warehouses, uh, you know, we were walking up.
2: Well, you were there just a few days yeah, ago. Yeah, just a few days ago, I was
0: there picking a barrel uh, from <clears throat> and Beyond. And we were walking up the warehouses, the, the flights, and you could feel the... You temperature
2: changing every yeah. floor. In the summertime, it's much easier to feel it because you go up to the fifth floor, it can be 95 degrees or more. and You go to the bottom floor, it can be 15 degrees cooler. So that's a huge difference.
0: And your warehouses too, they have one. Like, they kind of, they sit in a really nice spot. Get yeah. a good wind and, um, and it's just a really good location. You get a lot of good sun. It is, light.
2: yeah.
0: Uh, there's there's something to the magic in, in your
2: yep. warehouses. Yes. Especially. That's what uh, Thompson always said, that. Eh?
0: You spent a lot of time with Thompson, Willett, oh, yeah. With her father-in-law? Yeah. What was something you learned from Thompson?
2: Uh, a lot of wisdom.
0: Yeah. <coughs> did you ever walk through a warehouse and did he show you a, a secret
2: spot of his? Well, I don't know if it was a secret spot, but he call it a maybe a nice, good spot or something, you know. But, um, we spent a lot of time together. Well, I think, you know, I think you'd be proud of,
0: of the whiskey we have here today. I'd like to start with uh, the first one that we have here, which is the uh, Frosted uh, Yeast Roll, <coughs> and it's named after... Uh,
3: so, Grandmother Virginia Willett, uh, one of the things in our family is we would always have yeast rolls at whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas but there was a few times a year Easter so she would make the yeast rolls by hand my Aunt Alice makes them to this day and my job was I mean as young as I can remember maybe five years old was to make the icing for the yeast rolls and the icing was simply um, powdered sugar and bourbon and I would sit on the kitchen counter And I'd make the first bowl. And of course, it's a soupy consistency, so I would eat the first bowl. And then I would, of course, make the second bowl for the rolls. And this barrel here, barrel number 704, it was distilled on May 17th of 2012, which is a sacred day for dad because May 17th is May Day in Norway, which is the equivalent of our 4th of July. It's also the first barrel pick that Drew and I have done together. And um, when nosing it, I kept saying, this reminds me of childhood, just reminds me of grandmother's yeast rolls. And of course, um, Jaron Hyman, who's with uh, Jack Rose and the Bourbon Source, he was there with us that day. And he said, yeah, till totally get the frosting. And so that's kind of where it got coined with the frosted yeast rolls. So. But this is the first time we've ever bottled this particular mash bill. It's our high corn mash bill, And this is the first time we've ever bottled it before.
0: So you're getting an opportunity to taste something yeah. The first time. And the, the mash Mashville uh, is 79 corn and uh, 7% rye, 14% uh, barley, and it's five years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Where in the what, what warehouse and what location would this have been?
3: This was warehouse A. And Drew, was this floor three, two? I couldn't remember if it was two or three, second mm-hmm. floor.
0: We're going to
2: find the Willet sweet spot here in a second, folks. All my questions will be by design. I think you've been there enough to already know where they are, Fred. I don't
3: know. We were in, what, the very back, and only, I I think only I could easily fit back there with the drill. And Drew is pretty comical. Um, Drew was like, where, you know, where's the hammer? It should be in the bag. And like, Drew, it's not in here. It's not in here. So Drew is plugging the Barrel with his finger while we're trying to find the hammer. But Drew had overprepared and had brought the hammer over by the barrel and didn't realize it. So, me, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Evan,
0: I want to now talk about you know the time that you got in the business. This is uh, how did a Norwegian get into the Kentucky? Give us the very start. Like, how, how did you get into
2: the drinks business? I wasn't very smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, when,
0: think, I think
2: it's just the opposite. Yeah. Uh, when I came over here, I had always been interested. In Norway, I had friends that, you know, we distilled things together and just experimented with mostly liqueurs. Uh, and... uh Things like that, but uh, then, when I came over here, went to school, went to college, and I always uh, in college worked in the hotel trade and restaurant and bar and stuff like that while I was in college, so always involved in the consumer side of the industry uh, and uh, then uh, got together with my, you know, friend in Norway and said, you know, I'm going to be graduating pretty soon. So why don't we, you know, get some equipment made, send it over here. And actually, when I was getting out of college, my initial idea was to start a liqueur company, make liqueurs. That was a little bit ahead of the time.
3: He's always been 40 years ahead of his time.
2: Yeah. So... So we made some samples, and back then, Hublon was a big company in liqueurs, aero liqueurs and so forth. So I contacted them and, and sent them a sample and, you know, asked if they would be interested in, you know, some business relationship, whether it was uh, making it, distributing it, or whatever, and they said they were interested, but they wanted me to send them the formula. So I said, Well, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> you know, so, because uh, then they wouldn't really need me much after that. But so, about, uh, I guess, probably three weeks later, I got a call from an attorney in Denver. I was living in Colorado at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, he said he had a colleague a friend that was an attorney for cubeline and one and so he had found out about it and want to know if i was interested in you know doing business with some people he knew so i said well i'm you know just getting ready to get out of school so i'm interested in listening to anybody really and so then uh we kind of got together and uh, were going to, you know, move forward with this, but it didn't seem like it was really going to go very far. So after a couple of years uh, working with them, I just started working on my own. And then one thing leading to another, uh, I eventually uh, moved down there to Kentucky, and uh, then sort of shifted where it got into, to where now it's bourbon, whiskey, and other spirits, and did make some really good liqueurs, but we never really sold them. So that's uh, still on the back burner. That's where it started, so and it's still on the back burner. There's
0: still a chance we'll see those liqueurs,
2: yeah, maybe right. another thirty years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, when, when does Lionstone fit in the picture?
2: That's who I was talking about. I wasn't gonna, yeah. you know, bring, bring them up by name or anything. But. <clears throat> what? What did? Uh, when did you move here? I moved to uh, Kentucky in 1974. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and we got married go? in 1972. We, you know. So.
0: And how did you? How did you all
2: meet? Uh, we met at a place in Barston called Colonel Hawks. Anybody heard of Colonel Hawks? And
3: actually, Dad, didn't uh, didn't you think that Mom and J.D. were dating? That's my right. uncle and godfather. Yeah, her brother. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was here doing business.
3: I mean, we're in Kentucky, but it wasn't like that.
2: <laughs> I was here doing business with her dad, and... Uh, because I lived in Denver at the time, we were basically a brokerage company and things like that, and did have some of our own brands, but you know we represented other people too. So we had products made for us, and in this case, by the Willard Distilling Company. And so uh, her brother, uh, who I became friends with before I met her, uh, we were going out to dinner, and you know, uh, he was going to introduce some women. He said, "You know, guys talk." You know, so she came in. We were eating dinner, so she came in, and started hugging JD, and I look and I said, "JD, what? Are, you know, I thought you were going to introduce somebody to me." And he said, "Well, this is my sister." He said, and I said, "Yeah, I can see." <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, if that's really her sister, then I guess she could be my date. So, is that how it happened? Yes, okay. Now this is- this and, and, and she didn't think I was really worth dating, so.
0: Really? <laughs> well, there, there, there's a, I received a quote that she, uh, she thought you were quote. The most arrogant son of a bitch.
2: Yeah. Okay. There you go. What I just say? I was just being politically correct.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, I was young then. I mellowed out. You mellowed out a
0: little
2: bit. She has to.
0: <laughs> How'd you win her over?
2: Oh, it took several days. <laughs>
3: yeah. but, several cocktails.
2: But uh, we, I guess, we got married what six months after we met. So, I'm a fast worker. <laughs> and you,
0: you would end up having an amazing relationship with her dad. Yes. Thompson. yes. And Thompson, uh you know, I remember, you know, in the '70s, reading through um, you know newspapers article, newspaper articles at the time talking about the bourbon industry and how he was uh, complaining that all the big brands were bailing out on bourbon,
2: yeah.
0: and that they were moving into vodka and like whiskey, yeah. and like they're not getting tequilas, and they just didn't care about bourbon anymore. What, what was yeah. that time like? Because right now we, I mean, we're packing um, you know, uh, hotel rooms and you know, even uh, having major concerts attached to bourbon.
2: Yeah.
0: What in the world? world was it like to in a time we can't imagine, right? It's hard for me to fathom bourbon not being popular. But what was it like in the seventies when it just started going down?
2: Well it was pretty tough. There are people here in the room that can tell you the same thing that are in the business. It was the bourbon industry became very, very flat. And uh the they that's when they uh they were trying to make changes, they came up with Frost 880 and light whiskies, lower the proof, you know, because bourbon uh, traditionally up to then had really never been below 86 proof. And they were going to lower it to 80 proof and they said, nobody's going to buy that. And so they came up with all these light whiskies and everything, and most of that failed. I think QT is one of the few that remains on the market today that came out back then. And uh, but you know, people change, habits change, and products change, and you have to change with the times and yeah. sort of try to keep up with what's going on, or otherwise you're going to be left behind.
0: Yeah, I mean, it <clears throat> seems like there wasn't much bourbon could do to really win over the consumer back then. No.
2: Yeah, it was very difficult. And I was actually, uh, that was in the, I remember it really well because I was running a bar and restaurant when I went to college back then in the 60s. And uh, it was, everybody was talking about it, you know. So, but you see what's happening today, I mean, now, last number of years, last decade or so, bourbon, you got, you know, says bourbon and something, but I mean, it's bourbon and cherry, cherry bourbon, blueberry bourbon, melon bourbon, you know, I mean, and then the claim is that it expands the category. Well, if you're including all those, yes, but, but somehow bourbon has managed to come out on top as an individual, Product. Now, I, I've always believed that bourbon is really the uh, finest, most expensive whiskey, uh, you know, that there is, because you just look at the cost involved in making bourbon compared to other whiskies, even brandies, cognacs, anything, you know, bourbon, you know, because of the regulations, you know, we can, we, we can only use the barrel one time. And we sell it to the Scotch people, or Canadians, or nowadays everybody. They can use it forever. So their cost per gallon on a barrel, as you know, compared to bourbon, is like nothing. And yet, all those decades and decades, they would be getting higher dollars for their products than bourbon ever could. But that's all changed.
0: And you, you, you saw it when bourbon was. Down, you saw it climb up. What, yeah, was there ever a moment where you're like, all right, bourbon's back?
2: Yeah, what I remember was, that well too. You is Japan is when, when that started in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. That's where that just went from flat to like that, and it was just one place. But uh I remember it real well.
0: Now and you you actually study Japanese, so you can yeah. connect yeah with the Japanese mark do you, do you are you still fluent
2: oh, I was never fluent <laughs> <laughs> I could just say a few words to be polite, but that's enough for them to appreciate it yeah they really you know that they appreciate anything like that even if it's just a few words
0: they do love their bourbon there <laughs> oh
2: yeah they love our, they love our bourbon friend they love our bourbon early eighties um, there was just a little bit of a uh, indication that you know bourbon was becoming uh, popular in Japan and uh, then because uh, that was a pretty much a non-existent market for bourbon up till then they, they had some bottles there because uh, the uh, Jim beam and brown foreman had their jack Daniels and uh, then uh, couple of other uh, companies had their product in wide distribution around the world where it was available in certain places, but there weren't any sales to speak of. And so it wasn't that it was unheard of in those markets. It's just that there was no consumer interest. Right. But all of a sudden, uh, the Japanese, uh, I guess the emperor maybe had Announced that bourbon was good. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but someone but, did right. Yeah, like right. Out
2: of yeah, and uh, so uh, it it didn't take very long. It was like an eruption, and the market in Japan went from basically nothing to hundreds of thousands of cases in no time flat. And and then uh, what started happening after that was a ripple effect, where it would you know, uh, go to adjoining uh, islands, adjoining countries. And that's still going on today. Absolutely. And okay. that's how it's spreading.
0: You had, uh, Did you have bourbons that you specifically targeted for?
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, it was. Uh, and when we, you know, noticed this, we obviously tried to take advantage of marketing and contacting companies, but the Japanese... Uh, are a whole lot different to do business with than Americans or other people. Uh, and uh, they're only, back then and even now, they're big, what they call uh, Gisha or Kaysa companies. Uh, there is a handful of those old established companies, and they pretty much back then ruled everything. But today, that's also changed a whole lot. So now uh, there are lots and lots of uh, companies that are importers and wholesalers there and uh, new, new upstart companies in the last 20, 30 years. Whereas in the old days, there were only all established companies and that was it.
0: When did you come out with the Small Batch, your Small Batch series?
2: Uh, in the 80s.
1: Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com/bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com/bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com/bourbon.
0: When did you come out with the small batch, your small batch series? Uh, in the '80s. Was it '80? 80, '85? It was somewhere in the mid '80s. I can't remember. See it was closer or... to
3: 1990. It was. Closer, yeah, like, it was, it was probably so... late '80s. Yeah, then. late '80s. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. And that was one of the very first small batch collections uh, yeah. that were out there. When you yeah. were when you were devising that, what was uh, what were you? How many? Has it changed much? Is it?
2: Well, the interesting thing was, and we actually started selling our small batch products overseas because we showed it to distributors here in this country, and uh, then they say, "Well, nobody here is going to buy that. It's you know too expensive. Our customers, you know, they don't buy anything over eight dollars or whatever. You know, back then, ten dollars." And uh, so our overseas customers, which at that time, we had already established a good overseas business. So we were actually doing more business overseas than we were in this country. Wow. The funny thing that happened to us was that that's what our overseas customers wanted, those kind of products. And that's what we had to offer. And uh, then later, uh, Jim Beam, who, you know, as you know, is now owned by the Japanese. Uh, but back then, when they came up with their small batch series for products, just like ours, uh, they really are the ones that plowed the fields in this country to allow for that to become a category. So, you know, everybody in this business should recognize that. Absolutely. I think you're aware of it.
0: Yeah, so, well, I think it's also, um, I, I would like to note that, you know, you just, you were giving props to a competitor yeah, in some yeah.
2: respects there. It's well, we don't products. think of anybody as competitors, really. Yeah. But, but, you know, because, you know, this whole industry is made up of families and friends. It's a yeah. small business. Even though it's a huge business, it's a small business. But, uh, so what happened then was that people, uh, distributors, in this country that had traveled overseas and seen our products in famous like, uh, you know, Harrods or famous stores in London, Paris, Japan, all over the place, started contacting us when they found out where the products were coming from and asking if they could represent our products in this country.
3: Yeah, speaking of Harrods, if I may interrupt, this is what during our childhood was like. So most kids, you know, and, and mom and Alice to take us to Disney World, so thank you for that. But most of our travels were not domestic, they were international, and they were going to the places like Harrods to check out the floor displays of our products. So our vacations our whole life were going around to all these various countries, which was, I mean, very interesting. It was an amazing childhood, but it would be to look at the floor displays of dad's products. And so to this day, it's probably why <laughs> when I walk into a liquor store, it's an adult toy store for me because uh, it's just, you know, it's just the over... Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: But. One of the places that um, I know was difficult to get to back then was Russia. Did you ever, did you ever travel to Russia in the 80s and 90s? Yes. Uh,
2: yes. Uh, I actually went to Russia in, uh, right after the Olympics in Norway because I figured I was pretty close by, so... And uh, had a little trouble on their airplanes. So they didn't have the right parts, so I was delayed a little bit. But got there, and uh, then uh, we've done some business there. But it's uh, even to this day, uh, it's a very difficult place to do business because monetary issues and things like that.
0: Like, is it, is it just like a? A trust issue, like distributors in Russia,
2: or yeah, and there's some very major companies there now that have you know the where we're all to do things. But uh, as a rule, we try to work with more medium-sized and smaller-sized companies because to us, uh, our philosophy is that uh, you know, like a huge company uh, that has pretty much anything they want to have. In a lot of cases, yeah, they might like our products and have them, in some cases, just because they do want somebody else to have them. And that's not a good reason to do business with them. And uh, so we feel more comfortable doing business with people where our products mean something to them. Right. And it's important to them. That's a much better working relationship. I
0: think like tonight, I feel like this is the, the audience in the the Derby Museum, the Willet brand means a lot to everybody here and, and to the museum. Yeah. And I think you know the way you have grown that has been has been really magnificent. Britt, what was what was it like as a kid? Um, you know, watching your dad, you know go, you know, live out of a suitcase in some respects and go to a liquor store, liquor store, I mean, and live it, live it around whiskey all the time. What, what was that like?
3: Well, you know, our mom and dad made a tremendous amount of sacrifices so that we could be where we are today. And, um, you know, it was a magical childhood. It's something that um, some probably wouldn't believe. For example, I don't know how many kids were putting mealworms in, minis of tequila bottles when they were, however old Drew and I were, and (laughs) those millworms are three cents a piece. Don't Don't drop drop, those. Don't drop them. (laughs) Don't drop them. And, um, you know, it's like whenever I walk into work every day, so, you know, Drew's our master distiller, and then my sister-in-law, Janelle, just an amazing job running our visitor center. And, um, But when I walk into the bottling house to this day, when I open the door and I smell, I literally, I just, that's the smell of my childhood. There's just the smell in the bottling house. People smell bourbon. I don't smell bourbon. It's just this smell that you can't even describe. And it just, it's my childhood. And, um, you know, of course, we never had any shortage of alcohol um, in our homes growing up. And I will say that, you know, I didn't really realize what I realized today that when, in high school and I would steal bottles sorry dad and we knew, was, we knew about it yeah I know you did but you know when I would sneak out with these bottles I mean I didn't know I was probably drinking like a 25 year old cash strength whiskey <laughs> I just knew it was bourbon in a bottle and it didn't have a label on it nobody was going to notice that it was missing from the cabinet <laughs> so um, there's just a lot of things that you know growing up that you don't even think about it because it's just a part of your life but one thing that was also unusual for us is that you know mom of course she worked too she was before she got into this she was the best social worker in the state of Kentucky way to go mom very 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 challenging job to have and you know she would have dinner ready every night and we would probably dinner at eight o'clock nine o'clock at night when most kids were going to bed because that's what time dad got home from work and, you know, to this day, dad works seven days a week. And um, so everybody's just made a lot of sacrifices for us to where we are, to where we are today.
0: But he also always made time for you.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. You. In fact, um, when we were very little, uh, I think I might have been five, maybe Drew was three, I don't remember. But we took, dad took us on a plane ride from Louisville to Cincinnati, which is I don't know what an hour and 10 minute car ride, just for the sake of us having our first airplane ride. I mean, that's just, I mean, who does that, you know? Now, our parents did not have good sense when they thought that Drew and I were old enough to go to Norway on our own. I was, I think, six and Drew was four. And then, you know, you just had a stewardess that accompanied you the whole way and you got little badges and coloring books and all these fun things. And so anyway, we were going to fly over to Norway to spend the summer there with dad's family. We made it as far as Newark and we had a delay of five hours and we spent all of our money in the Newark airport. We bought watches, we bought pizza, (laughs) we were just, you know, we ran out of money before we even left Newark. (laughs) So long story short, you probably don't want to let Drew and I travel alone together these days with a a limited bank account, but.
2: Yeah, it'd be real bad today.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, especially if the airport's carrying boots, right? That's
3: right. But, you know, it was great. And, you know, a lot of times on Christmas Day, my mom and her sister, we would drive down to um, Florida and we would have, um, you know, you'd have Christmas at the beginning of your day and then you were at Disney World a few days thereafter. We did that for many, many years. And of course, dad flew us all over the world. I mean, we weren't vacationing just in Florida. We were going to Norway to visit our family in Germany and Paris and London and you know my daughter Scout's complaining because she's seven and she's never been to Paris <laughs> and she's seven but you know we had a we did have definitely a storied childhood yeah.
0: so let us go to the next uh, bourbon on your on your uh, map there this is the weeded bourbon 65% corn 20% wheat, 15% barley 115 uh, barrel entry proof five years old
2: and this is this is all whiskey you still. you and your son distilled. This is, I think, isn't this uh, this your formula, Drew? Drew, I believe this is Drew's creation right here. Is this is Drew's. Yes, that's Drew's formula, and I, I it's it's probably probably our best whiskey, I think. I think, so. think.
0: This is delicious. Now, when when you're when you're tasting his distillate or something he's bringing to you, do you ever say, "No, not good enough. Bring, bring
2: me something back."
3: Not if it's our whiskey.
2: Well, when he brought me that and I tasted that, I told him we need to double the production.
3: <laughs> he did.
2: That
0: that's good. Uh, that's good advice. And I believe I tasted some barrel samples of this the other day. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. When you're, what do you? Uh, What's a note that jumps out on this for both of you? What's a note to me it's
3: just it's it's just both gentle and elegant
2: it's it's very soft and mellow. It's just really excellent and has full body. It's very
0: nice. Yeah. Well, I wanna kinda go to the time when you took over Willow when you when you acquired the, the company. What what was that uh what was that like? What was your what was your thought process going into, you know, taking over what was your father-in-law's business?
2: Well, uh you may or may not know this story, but they had actually sold the distillery before I took it over. And so it was a complicated situation. So, we basically had to rebuild everything from scratch, and we tore the distillery down to the ground. Rebuilt everything. So, wow.
0: Yeah. When when you were coming back in the in the business, a big part of your business was was doing private doing uh, doing bottles for other people.
2: Right, because we had to have income to stay in business. So yeah. that's what you had to do.
0: What were some that you can tell us? Like I'm mm-hmm. sure you had to sign all kinds of non-disclosure agreements. But what were some of the some of the bottles that people here might recognize?
2: Actually, for? Fred, we never did. You never signed any.
3: No, we're not our, big on signing contracts. Our, oh, that's great.
2: When I came in this business, I was very fortunate. That's great. I was, you know, in the old days they used to have people. This business was always built on your word and your handshake. Yeah. And if that wasn't any good. You you weren't gonna be in business. Who are some of and the people that kinda you work? With so whenever area? we work with people, we just have an understanding, verbal agreement and a an handshake. And if that isn't good enough, you're not gonna get it better by signing something. And that's how we've always operated. We never had problems with anybody.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Now everybody wants to give you like five agreements on something. Yeah. When you were when you were uh, starting out, and you had to acquire you had to acquire bourbon from other distilleries, right. what were what were you uh, looking for? You know, during that time frame, of you know, what kind of whiskey were you looking for?
2: Mostly, uh, obviously, good quality whiskey, obviously, needless to say. But uh, almost all the whiskey that we acquire from other distilleries. Were old whiskey because at the time they didn't market it they didn't know what to do with it and uh we uh actually would buy just all whiskey because that's what our customers wanted because we had built a tremendous business overseas for those kind of products and it was many years before everybody else started understanding that and At one point, uh, we're such a tiny company in this industry, but uh, when rye became popular again in the beginning of the 90s, everybody thinks it was much later, but it was in the beginning of the 90s. Just when I became aware of that, I bought up all the old rye whiskey I could find and we actually ended up having more old rye whiskey than all the other distilleries in the country.
0: Wow. Yeah. Were you getting some of that? Was that of from like old Pennsylvania distilleries?
2: I they can't got... tell you where we got it, Fred. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good whiskey.
0: Those handshakes, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. Handshakes. Yes. What, uh, was and,
2: there an and it wasn't very long afterwards. Everybody hated us. Yeah. <laughs>
0: because you had all that stock.
2: Right.
0: Was there a, was there an age limit on, uh, that you would look like you, like you wouldn't go for anything under
2: eight years old or? Well, most of the old stocks that we bought would run from, we did buy some younger, just for certain markets, but, okay. uh, and then we would blend it ourselves, you know, but uh, the, uh, most of the older whiskeys we bought would typically be, uh, you know, 10, to twenty and up to twenty-five year-old whiskeys. Today you can't buy those. No,
0: no, you can't buy them. I don't, I don't care
2: how much money you yeah. have. You can't buy them.
0: So some of those, um, some of those batches, probably up until about two thousand eight, would they have included um, uh, whiskey from several different
2: distilleries? Many different Um, distilleries, yeah. yeah. Because none of them wanted any old... See, years ago in this industry, uh, the distilleries, when they were selling four-year-old whiskey, most of the time it wasn't four-year-old whiskey. It'd be six, seven, or eight, even older whiskey because they would get rid of their old whiskey first because they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't market it as an aged premium product. You know, and so... That's just something that's become obvious to them in the last dozen years.
0: See, I'm finding this fascinating because you know, right now we're starting to see people release ridiculous ages, like 36-year-old bourbon and 45-year-old yeah. bourbon. Yeah. You know, they're releasing things like that. Right. Like it's it's like now we're going to the other end of the spectrum, but we'll, yeah. there is a sweet spot for those for those old bur- those older bourbons. For you, right. like, what's a good what's a good Range for for an aged bourbon like
2: that. Good range. You mean quality wise? Yes, absolutely. Well, that that becomes. I mean, that's a big floating bubble because uh, you can have a whiskey that's eight years old that's far better than one that's twice that age, and vice versa. It all depends on the whiskey. The mash bill, the history of where it barely's been, everything. I mean, it, there's no, it is so individual. There's there's no really way to, that's when you really have to taste and sample things. And that, and you've done plenty of that.
0: And you, that's and gonna say, Britt, that's where your father has been so special, mm-hmm. is that he has tasted those things and brought it to us. Whereas a lot of other distillers, would have never have brought a, a 15 year old, you know, as many. well.
3: No, as Dad said, I mean, you know, yeah. people outside of this country were very interested in aged premium products like that and not necessarily here. And one of the things that has always been unique to our business is that we have specialized in very rare, small batch and single barrel whiskeys. And especially bottled at cast strength, that's kind of one of our signatures because we want you to enjoy raw whiskey straight out of the barrel the way that we think it should be enjoyed. You can add water as you would like to dilute it down to whatever your preference is, but we'd like to share it with you just straight out of the barrel, just that raw whiskey. And, you know, to this day, because our operations are such this small scale that they are, you know. When we say small batch, although it's one of the few things in our industry that's completely unregulated, a small batch to us is a maximum of, you know, 20 to 25 barrels at a time. And that's in everything that we do. That's the maximum amount of barrels that we use at a time. So it is it is a lot of work and time in selecting those exclusive honey barrels that go into each small batch. Otherwise, it's just a single barrel. So we still, to this day, very much specialize in just the rare... Um, aged cast strength
0: whiskeys. That's true, but the family—you all have the gift of being able to know when when a bourbon's ready to bottle. Or as in the case with our next tasting, the rye. This is a this is very exciting for me. I remember first tasting this rye. Drew walked me through the warehouse. He put the drill in. He actually, unlike with the mm. one you described, the the whiskey didn't go everywhere, everywhere, he plugged it up pretty easily, but I remember tasting that rye, I think it was two or three years old at the time, and I just knew it was going to be special. It's
3: yeah, you know, we actually, when we started releasing our rye distillate, we originally re- released it at 27 months, which you can get away with with a rye, not with the bourbon, Right. Um, but we are getting ready to release our four-year-out in the market this year. Um, so this is a rare treat for everybody. Yep.
0: Yeah. So this is a six-year-old rye, from uh, this would have been one of the very first distillates coming off the still there when you all started back up in 2012. The mm-hmm. mash so bill is 51% rye, 34% corn, and 15% barley. The barrel entry proof is 125. Uh, that is no longer the case. You all are 110
3: Well, now. the bourbon. With the exception of the weeded, the bourbon goes in at 125, the weeded goes in at 115, and the rye goes in at 110.
0: Yeah, so the rye is at it goes in at 110 now.
3: Yeah, I think the rye is just phenomenal, but I'm a rye girl.
2: Yeah, we get we get a lot of well, a lot of praise on our rye whiskey.
0: Every time we taste they want to applaud. Yeah, that's good thing, right? You've earned it. You know, it occurs to me that, you know, this is tasting this, this product. I wonder if you could, going back, dipping back into the, the memory banks for a moment, where would this, where would what you have, what we have tasted tonight rank in the grape barrels coming out of Willett from the 80s and 90s and oh, Jesus. early 2000s?
2: That's a tough one.
0: That's a tough one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we we try to. I mean, the the older whiskeys that we used to acquire, you know, years back, were heavier bodied whiskeys. But the consumers today, for the most part, drink lighter bodied whiskeys. But we try to still maintain as much. You know, body in our whiskey as possible, because personally, I like a heavier body whiskey. And well, you
3: talk about that all the time, Fred, about yeah. people comparing their whiskey in the '70s and then today. You talk about that all of the time and yeah. what's changed. And yeah, you know.
2: and uh, the only reason that these aren't as heavy body right now as the ones, the older stocks that we bought, you know, acquired years ago, is that. These are only half the age. But they will they get feel, they will they will they'll gain a lot more body. They feel alive on the palate. Yes, they have, they have a very clean, fresh taste. They're yeah. you know, if if this is
0: where we're at in five, six years, you know, count me but getting in line at twelve years. Yeah. You know, ten years, eight. Won't be long. Yeah, I know will be here before we know it. Yep. Yeah. Now we, we take a look at, we, we talked about the 80s and a little bit of the 90s. Will it starts really becoming popular in the 2000s? And I don't mean just a little popular. I mean, it's like a cult following. Right. I mean, now you have umpteen amount of uh, Facebook pages about stalking.
3: Fred, we're not on, we are not on social media.
2: You're not on Facebook? I don't, I've never been there. You're he's not? Ne- he's never been there. I've never, there. Been, never, never been there.
0: Facebook or anything
2: Insta chat. I've heard about it.
0: <laughs> You're not missing anything, yeah. but I will tell you that there's a lot of fan pages out there for what you've done.
2: Yeah.
0: And I, did you ever allow yourself to enjoy any of that fandom that was kind of rising in the? I've 2000s?
2: never, never been involved in any of it.
0: You just like making whiskey.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I get up and go to work, and go home and eat, and go to bed. <laughs> I'm a boring guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Now, that's... That's definitely not true. But Britt says you're the world's most interesting man.
2: that guy guy was in a beer commercial.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, Dad, well, you just be sitting there. He does it to every single one of us, and he'll say, you know, I don't even care what you're talking about. Well, you know, back when I was on the Olympic ski jumping teams... (laughs) What? I wasn't
2: on the limb exclusive. Well, okay, that's a
3: bit exaggerated, but my point is you'll say, you know, when I was a bartender, this, that, well, I didn't know you were a bartender. It's just fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. It says it to mom every day. She's like, I didn't know that about you. You've been married how many years now? 45 years. Yeah.
2: Well, I can't tell it all to you at one time.
0: (laughs) 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 But the, the, the amount of, interests in in Willet and what you have done. Um, I can only think of, of of one other brand that had the, the equivalent of that in, in these in the past 25 years that'd be Papi Van Winkle. But you you're right there neck and neck with with uh, with that same kind of enthusiasm. And through the whole time you've remained family owned. Right. How how many times have you been asked from somebody like, can we own a share, can we buy you, can we, how often?
3: Tell them about the, the best deal yeah. you got down from the Japanese.
2: Yeah, well, that's a long time ago, actually. That was in the eighties. We, we did a lot of business in Japan in the eighties and nineties. In fact, we couldn't, we couldn't print enough labels fast enough and they would come knock on our door. I mean, we had probably 20 different importers in Japan. And uh, we couldn't keep up with it. But uh, one day, one of the ones we did a lot of business with uh, came and uh, with three or four of their, they're all IBM pinstripe suit guys, you know. So when they come to us, of course, you've been there. So we're not like, uh, well, we're not Brown Foreman, you know. So Uh, We usually get them to taste something and then we get their tie off and, you know, we get them to become human beings. And so, so the big guy says to me, uh, we're sitting there talking about business and he says, "Uh, we have very good news for you. And I said, oh, that's good. And he says, we'd like to make you offer to buy you out. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. And uh, so I said, uh, I don't know, I'd have to give that some thought. And he says, It's a very good offer, and we're ready to be, do business, he says. And I said, Well, I just don't know. You know what I would do if I sold to you people. I'm not ready to retire yet. So he says, well, we want you to stay here and run it. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm doing that now without you. <laughs> and he looked at me. And he looked at me and he just didn't understand. And I explained to him, he says, and he says, but you would have all this money. And I said, yeah, but you don't understand. You want me to still live here in Barcelona and run it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we didn't make a deal. Yeah. (laughs) But other
0: people have come to you
2: and many times. Yeah.
0: Does it get it has it have you said no so many times they eventually stop calling?
2: Some of them stopped calling, but we still get calls.
3: Some of them just go by others. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. That's easier. Yeah. (laughs) Path of least resistance.
0: There have been a lot of uh, distilleries purchased, small yes. and large, yeah. in the last, uh, last
2: some years. for completely ridiculous sums.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Some completely ridiculous.
3: No, he's saying for ridiculous sums.
0: Yeah, like yeah. oh yeah, so like yeah. Uh, like High West, which sold yeah. for like a hundred sixty million yeah. to Constellation, that was public. You know, so yeah. there's been, there have been a lot of those. Yeah, but uh, you know now now Brett, she's the president. She, yeah. she's got to hold the fence up now. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice for her for, like, how to say no to people trying to buy the company?
3: I've first-hand experienced on several of those occasions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. She, she probably would not even talk to them. I, I At least I'm, you know, nice enough to talk to them.
3: <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know... It, It's effective if you don't talk to them, you know, whenever you get the offer.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I'm not a a non-responder. That's not something I'm known for. But I will say that, you know, his dad always says that family business is not for everybody. And it's the toughest business to be in. And that's true. And, you know, we're just very fortunate that it works so well with our family. And I love that, you know, I can pretty much say anything and I don't think I'm going to get fired. And, you know... We're not worried about hurting each other's feelings. It's just a very transparent <laughs> operation and it works really well for us. So we don't have any plans of changing that.
0: You know, we have the 80th anniversary coming around here.
3: Yes, and I would so. like to uh, personally thank, we would like to personally thank our friends from Jack Rose for donating this yes to, for us. To where are they?
0: See Jared in the back. Stand up. Jared, where are you, Bill? Good friends of mine.
3: Bill just
0: donated it because he wants everybody to find his face on the bottle. <laughs> Bill, Bill is, uh, is one of the least vain people I know, so yeah. you know I, I know he probably had to twist his arm for that. Bill's, Bill's, Bill's been a big supporter of uh, of Willett.
2: Yes, he has. I
0: re- I remember when uh, Jack Rose in Washington D.C., which is, I believe, the the world's best whiskey bar, and I do. I that.
2: You, you know, it's filled with mostly Willet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Three years before. laughs> you know, it's funny, like you you did used to go in there and there'd be like three or four shelves of Willet. But as the popularity has oh, cool. hit, yeah. it's like those shelves get a little yeah. smaller every yeah. every day, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. I think they've got some senators drinking a little bit of Willet back then. Yeah.
2: yeah, we know there's some of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You definitely know you got some senators drinking the product. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it helps them uh, make better votes.
2: Well, that, so that would be good. about
0: the, the 80th anniversary is uh, is a four-year-old. that's 72% corn.
3: Um, Bottled
0: and bond. 13% rye, 15% barley. Bottled and bond.
2: That's the original uh, Willett mash bill. And uh, that's really, really what I would <laughs> call uh, an excellent traditional... Kentucky bourbon whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's really what Kentucky is all about.
0: It knows it's like it's much older than four-year-old. That's the thing about this yeah. one. It's like it,
2: yeah, we talk about and, it. And Fred, when the Willett Distilling Company years ago, you know, Old Bardstown was one of their big brands. That's right. And at one time, Old Barston was the second biggest selling brand in the state of Kentucky. And the biggest seller they had was that mash bill right there at a 100 proof ball in bond. Mm. It's
0: got some complexity to it. It's,
2: it's, really, it's, it's really good whiskey.
0: I love this whiskey. Yeah. It's one of those where you see it you see it pop up on the secondary market every now and then, and it sells for like four times the amount that you would have initially charged for. Yeah, and that's going a little bit to that to that popularity. Is it is it difficult being so loved by you know in the whiskey community because you don't see many bad things uh, you know written or said about about your whiskey? does that?
2: Well, they probably have plans to say after tonight.
0: <laughs> but it's one of those like it's like you know for a long time like the yankees won all the championships and, and you, if you listen to the the interviews they would always say that it was harder being on top it was easier coming out from the underdog is yeah. it hard
2: if you're on top you can't really go harder than on top and you've you've seen you
0: all have seemed to hit with your whiskey releases uh at the top, like every year. And it's like, that's hard to do.
3: We're just getting started.
2: Yeah, but, but you're right. It's very hard to do and keep doing. That's the hard part is to keep doing it. Well, that the biggest challenge? It's just- It's a it's a big challenge, yeah. but we have lots of other challenges too.
0: Britt, earlier, I, I asked you to tell me the story about, about your dad, it's been some time. Have, have, have you had a chance to think of one? We can go to the audience for questions, and we can follow up again if you
2: like. Yeah. Well, he's really pressing on that story, Red. He, he must be waiting on some dirt to come out here.
3: I know, and I'm trying to really behave myself, Dad. So don't drink. Know.
2: Don't drink anymore.
0: How many pills do you have, and how many strains? I'll let of yeast? you answer
3: about the yeast. Um, okay.
2: Well, actually, I will. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, we do about four different mash bills on bourbons and two different mash bills on rye these days. And I like for Drew to answer your question on the yeast because that's more in his expertise. But I don't
0: tell them all the secrets. We use one yeast. Yeah. So we have yeah. the mash bills, four
2: bourbons and two rye, but we use one yeast. Yeah. That's right. I do know we use one yeast, but that's enough details on that, I guess. <laughs> how well, many
0: jobs did you do before the kids arrived?
2: Oh boy, I had to do all of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many that was.
0: <laughs> Any future consideration on mash bills that he's working on?
2: Uh, we always have thoughts about those kind of things, but that's sort of long-term things, because it's, it gets involved very quickly when you start.
0: I think I know what he was wanting to know is if yeah. you were experimenting with any flavored whiskeys. Uh,
3: no. Not flavored, no. Mm. <laughs> no. Any new expressions? Uh, I think what he's... Are we asking about, is there going to be another XCF in the future? Is that maybe what the question was?
2: No. He, I think he was asking about new possible new mash bills. Is that what you were
3: saying? Yeah, six isn't.
2: Drew said six isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. We we actually are very traditional in what we do. We we don't we don't make uh, cherry bourbon or vanilla bourbon and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we never in, like
0: to end on a flavored whiskey note.
1: But, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: But um, you know, I, I honestly, I. I wanted people to get to know you tonight. I wanted people to, to learn about your background and, and, you know, the skiing, the Norway, the yeah. uh, fact that you're, you came up through the ranks and um, won your wife's heart and raised two beautiful kids and you have a great family. I wanted people to get to know you. Everyone knows your whiskey. Yeah. But this was tonight was an opportunity to get to know you and learn that passion that you have for bourbon the passion you have for your family Britt. you've had you've got an amazing father and i would like to in the night on a toast after this toast you will be able to speak with evan uh shortly like we'll be kind of mingling around you'll You'll see us out there there's still bottles for sale and everything but this night was all about you and, and your whiskey and your family and please just grab the the glass my god none of you have anything left
2: <laughs>
3: for
0: god's sake I, we got to start reminding people to save something for a toast here
2: yeah looks like they poured a pretty short shot
3: and fred i just want to say too thank you for being a vessel for helping us learn more about dad um You know, Dad and I recently have been having a lot of Lexington adventures. I will just say that we watched my uh, guest tank very closely. We did have a few Seinfeld moments together. But I have learned a lot about Dad over the last six weeks, and I'm just glad that people were able to have a night with him as well tonight. So thank you for your consideration and for facilitating all of this. We
2: appreciate it very much, Fred.
0: This night's not about me.
2: And we really appreciate all of you coming. It's a big honor to be here.
3: Yeah, Skoll.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah Skoll. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much. One more round of applause.
2: <laughs> I guess that you should need to be thrown out and